Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I am joined with one of my past roommates, Emily Cho. Hello, so exciting. So Emily, what is your experience level with mysteries, or specifically Agatha Christie mysteries? So I was a huge Nancy Drew fan, and you know, nice. not related, but I really enjoyed it's Like those. a gateway. A gateway yeah, yeah, you know, like <laughs> the introduction. And then my biggest experience was with you telling me one of the stories. I've never actually read the story myself, but, you know, having a hour-long recalling of the story by you was really... I think that was the start of the podcast, was me sitting in a coffee shop with Emily telling yeah. her, I don't even remember the story. <laughs> I, you know... Honestly, I don't either, but I remember being <laughs> frightened throughout, <laughs> and it was really fun. I think my favorite part of it is, like, that it's even harder to tell who did it, because sometimes you would forget a part, and then you'd go backward, yeah. and I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to I need to fill in some gaps here, but <laughs> I think it was I've really tried, fun. I've tried to fix that by taking notes, but I still forget things. So I we'll think see. that's okay. Like, it felt like gossip. <laughs> like, I felt like it was, like, somebody's, like, really interesting life that I didn't know. So... <laughs> Definitely more exciting than my life now. Yeah. Oh, man. Everyone's. <laughs> so, should we get started? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm have a pen out. So, this mystery is called The Murder at Hazelmore. It was also called The Sidiford Mysteries, and it was released in 1931. And it was the first um, Agatha Christie that was released under different titles in the U.S. and the U.K. And I think they just did this for, like, what the publishers knew would sell better but I don't really know. Do you ever find with Agatha Christie novels that like the, the you don't understand some of the stuff because they're so old and also British now? Oh, totally. There was um, one of the first episodes I did, I think with Charlotte, there they, it was like slang was S.A. So they would say like, oh, that guy has S.A. And I'm pretty sure it stands for sex appeal. <laughs> but they wouldn't say, like she didn't say that. It was just S.A. That's amazing. I want to say yeah. that about guys now. Like, wow, he has an essay and nobody will know. It'd be like a secret language. <laughs> that's, I have a really good line that's coming up. Not coming up. It's like a couple pages from now. But I, uh, I'm i so excited to tell it to you. I'm so excited. Anyway, you're going to say it all the time. <laughs> I'm looking to update my slang with some 1930s slang. <laughs> so this is really ideal for me. Good. Good. Okay. Let's get to it. Mm-hmm. So our story starts at Sidiford House. That's why the original title had been Sidiford, the S- mystery at Sidiford or Sidiford mm-hmm. Mystery. And it's in this place called Dartmoor, which is, I guess, like a coast um, along England somewhere. I didn't look up the geography, <laughs> but some coast. And it's was the house was like built by this old army gentleman called Captain Tre- Trevelyan. And he just like he wanted to be kind of in not in the middle of nowhere, but like on he, it. He wanted to be by the sea. I think he was like an old Navy guy. And um, he built this big house. And then he also built six like smaller bungalows on the property that he either sold or rented to um, various people. Um, and then Sidiford itself was like, had three, had when they, the, the town there had like three houses before he moved in. So it was a really small place. Interesting. Um, and then down... <laughs> down the hill connected by a road was this town called Exhampton, which is which is much bigger it had like an actual police station and a ho- not a hotel but like a guest house etc Exhampton. Exhampton. interesting and like like the hamptons but not <laughs> but not 
about it. So the of the six properties, like the six little cottages that he built, um, one of them he gave to his friend Major Burnaby. So they were like best they were best friends. Um, I think they've been in the Navy together and that's how they knew each other. And so they their thing was like to do crosswords together and other like newspaper games. And they'd um yeah, they're like cute friends. The Captain Trevelyan would come to Major Burnaby's house or bungalow on Tuesdays, and Major Burnaby would go to Sidiford House on Fridays, and that was their thing. Okay. So for the winter, um, Trevelyan had rented out his house to two women from South America. Or sorry, I think it's South. I said South America here, but South Africa, who oh. wanted to quote unquote experience the winter. <laughs> Um, and that was, it was seen as this really weird thing because again, it's the coast of um, England. And in, they were saying there was like at this, this specific day when the story starts, there were like four feet of snow. Um, and they're going, who, like you can experience, quote unquote, experience winter without being in the middle of nowhere. Yes. This wasn't necessary. But Captain Trevelyan was like known as someone who like kept his purse strings tightly closed. I don't know. I forgot his name. But he didn't give away his money. So the idea that... I think they said they would give him 12 guineas a month, which was a lot um, for the, to Thank rent for his house. That. That <laughs> to be, to be, so, okay. What happened? They said, we'll give you 12 guineas a month for Sidiford house. And he was able to find somewhere in Exhampton that he could rent for two guineas a month. So he was going to make 10 guineas a month. Wow. That's, and so that's he was a like, big cash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they, the people that rented it are called Mrs. Willett and her Violet, her, her Violet, her daughter, Violet Willett. So the Willets. Got it. Um, and so they had, there, yeah, there had been a lot of snow recently, as I said. Um, and so kind of because of that and to keep like, the Willets were like big into, they call it like um, the colonial charm or something. And it's the idea that they just wanted to have people over to their house a lot. Hmm, so they were just lonely and they called it charming. Yeah. Exactly. So they invited, like, basically everyone from the bungalows that could come to their house for, like, to sit by the fire, have tea, and, like, play games for the evening. I called them the cottage folk that they invited over. Ooh, cute. <laughs> so those people they invited are, were Major Burnaby, the best friend of the captain, a guy called Mr. Rycroft. Uh, uh, Mr. Rycroft was, like, kind of older. And then Ronnie Garfield, um, he was a young, young guy who was, had been visiting his aunt. Who lived in one of the cottages his aunt's an invalid so she didn't come but ronnie garfield came and then finally a guy called mr duke i want to say now i already think that garfield did it just based on the name Got i don't it. know anything okay. about the story but i that's my first guess okay and i'm We're putting it down we'll record. come back to that later and see how you do okay <laughs> feel free to change as hopes, we go. But <laughs> yeah garfield so i'll, I'll kind changes. of I'll get into these people's characters later, but just there were there were four people and then the, the Willet. So the party was six people total in the house, plus a couple servants, but not important. Got it. So Major Burnaby explains that, uh, so he normally, it's a Friday, so normally he would be going into Exhampton to visit um, Captain Trevelyan, because mm. that was like their day to do crosswords or whatever they did, and or the day they hung out, I guess. But since the snow was so deep he wouldn't make it like the roads were closed so he couldn't Mm. take a car and it was like a 12 mile walk or six mile walk like something that not not doable yeah yes so he he he, that's why he came to this fire fireplace evening even though he normally wouldn't have Mm. that's kind of rude to tell your guests like 
I didn't want to be here, but I had to. Both <laughs> both Major Burnaby and Captain Trevelyan, I don't think are very good with women. Like Captain Trevelyan refuses to be in their presence. They call him a woman hater, which is like that's a slang from that term. But they everyone's like, it just means you're shy and don't like you're just scared of women. You're a misogynist, but it's okay, it's cute. Yeah. Like it. Uh, Major Burnaby's not so bad, but he also like I don't think he ever married, and he's he's just like a lone bachelor. Hmm. So they have tea at Sidiford House, and then they decide they're like, oh, we could play bridge, um, but they have too many people because that's only four, and so then they and someone wasn't able to play. I don't know. So they decide to try table turning, which is a Ouija board without the board before the board was invented. It's like calling spirits. My goodness, that doesn't sound like a game. That sounds scary. I think, yeah, I think you kind of get the sense that um, people shove the table to, like, you know, spell out what they want, in a sense. And so mm-hmm. it's this, like, a little bit of jokingness. There, there's a lot of weird games in this time because they're just so bored. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I never used to understand that, but I think now being at home through the fog, like, I'm like, yeah, that sounds fine. I would do that. <laughs> shove a table around. I wonder if we can do it online. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, that's that's where I'm at. So. Call the online spirits. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be like Eric Wong showing up. Just <laughs> <ooing> and I. <laughs> so they all, they find like a, a light enough table because that's what's important. Um, and they all sit around it and they're having a lot of fun kind of talking to spirits. And they point out that mostly the spirits are just talking to Violet and Ronnie, the two young people in the group. And there's some hints of like, is there some romance going on here? Ooh. Um, then there comes a message for Major Burnaby, which I think was kind of like, oh, this is new. And it spells out Trevelyan and says, yes, this message is about Trevelyan, Captain Trevelyan. And then it spells out D-E-A-D, dead. And then they kind of freak out a little bit. And then it spells out M-U-R-D-E-R, murder. So everyone kind of freaks out a little bit because that's unsettling and not that's they were like this isn't lighthearted. like who kind of like who was shoving and everyone's like I would not do that that was not me and they turn the lights back on and kind of say like we're not doing that anymore like it's it's over now this kind yeah, of someone, fun. someone joked about murder and we're not having fun anymore so yeah um and then the Mr. Duke one of the guys notes that the time is 5 25 p.m so he's like yeah, I don't know he just checks his watch hmm. Um, so Major Burnaby, the best friend, is so freaked out. Um, he's kind of like, they, they're trying to talk to him and he's like kind of silent, like looking out the window. And then he decides he needs to go to Exhampton and see what's going on. Even though, even like this 12 mile trek to get there. He's like, no, I like, it will only take me a couple hours. It wasn't snowing at the time. He's like, the snow's, the snow's only going to start in an hour. Like I'll almost be there by then. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. And he leaves. Two and a half hours later, Major Burnaby arrives at Trevelyan's house in Exhampton, and there's no answer to the bell that he's ringing. He's knocking on the door. None of the lights are on. So he goes immediately to the police station in town, which picture, picture a small enough town where like everything's a few blocks away. So like walking to the police station takes like no time at all. Lovely. So he gets to the police station and there's a constable graves in there or just like whatever the police officer on duty at night and he call he has a telephone so he's able to call Trevelyan's house that's something Sidiford no one in Sidiford had a telephone mm-hmm. so they couldn't contact the like bigger town nearby I put air quotes on that but you couldn't see it I forgot <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it now and it's 
yeah. really emphasizes the point. Perfect. So there's no answer when he calls Trevelyan on the telephone. So he's he's kind of like, oh, okay, we'll go check it out. So on their way, they pass the doctor's house. So they grab him and bring him to Trevelyan's house. Hmm. And when, again, like they try the door again and they decide that the windows at the back of the house will be easier to break in, like break than the door. So they walk around back and they find that one of the French windows is already open a crack, which is really weird. Because again, like four feet of snow, it's snowing right now. It's really cold. And the light is on. So they go, they all kind of just go in through the, for that French window and they see Trevelyan sprawled out on the floor and the doctor pronounces him dead. He's been hit on the back of the head with um, one of those sandbags you put along the door to stop a draft. I so they, would like to mention said, here, I don't know what that sandbag yeah. is. Also, what's a French window? I think it's like one of those those windows that like opens up like doors. You can walk through them. Ah, uh, like a French door, but a window. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I also thought it was French door, but then I was reading this and going like, well, if they walk through it, it must have been a door. What is? But, <laughs> I'm trying to picture it. Let, windows big enough you can walk through them. Possibly okay. a door. <laughs> Got it. Perfect. And this, uh, yeah, it's just it's just this long, skinny sandbag that would go along, like, be the length of a door or window that you would um, sit up against it so that no no, no draft could come through and mm. keep the room warm. Okay. Um, yeah, so he has a fractured skull, and they say he's been dead about two to three hours, which, um, Travel, uh, I'm sorry, Major Burnaby kind of mumbles, like, that would be 525, like he's thinking in his head. It's a very exact time, 525. Yeah, I, well, he's it's, he's going back to like the um what Miss Major Duke's or not Major Duke what M- Mr. Duke said um after they finished table turning, mm. like that it, it was five twenty five. So yes, so, and that does fit in with the timeline, but the doctor's not being that specific. Like he's saying two to three hours ago. Yes. So the next day, Inspector Naricot Naricot. I read I read this word in the book, but I don't think how to pronounce it. We're gonna call him Naricot. Perfect. You know, you could have called him anything, and I would have believed you. Naricot. Naricot arrived, um, and the next morning by train because he couldn't like the again the roads were impassable, so he couldn't drive in the night before. And he joins an, another police officer called Sergeant Pollock, who I guess is I guess a sergeant is higher than a constable. It's higher. Than, okay. I don't think it matters. He joins a more important police officer from Got the it. town. <laughs> and they go into the study together. And kind of the inspector, Inspector Narcot, immediately notes that the window had been made to look like it had been forced open. But really, someone just kind of splintered it. Like, it was already unlocked and they just made it look like it was forced. And it also looks like Captain Trevelyan knew who the murderer was and let them in through the window because they see there's like wet spots underneath the window where it looks like someone would have come in with um, snowy boots. But those wet spots are not at the front door. They're nowhere else in the house. They're only in that study room. Okay, so I'm a little bit less suspecting Garfield now. (laughs) He might have had a hard time getting all the way to the town and back. Probably. (laughs) I think we might have an accomplice is my new thought. There are, there are a lot a lot more characters to come, so definitely oh, no. keep in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sure about Garfield. You're right, you're right. Someone it could be an accomplice. Okay. So I'm ready, I'm ready. Don't lose hope. <laughs> I'm trying. It's hard. Right. So Sergeant Pollock says um, that he had had 
that Captain Trevelyan had had no known enemies, um, but he was a very rich man. Like they're, they're kind of saying, I don't know if anyone knew how rich he was, but he was, he had a lot of money. And Trevelyan had had one servant who was named Evans. Um, and he lived very new, um, very nearby and was a newlywed. So this, this kind of gets into Evans kind of says he was hoping to move in with the captain, with his wife. He was like, my wife can do the cooking. I could take care of the captain, yada, yada, yada. But Trevelyan hated women so much that he wouldn't even allow like a female servant in his house. Oh my God. This is, I feel like a big turn on his character that that's pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really confusing, but anyways. Evans doesn't have to worry about it anymore. He's dead. Good. Good for him. Get out of that house. <laughs> Go get your wife. So they, they interview Evans, who says he had been um, dismissed the day before at 2 p.m., which he says is normal. Like, the his his um, master would often, like, if he didn't need him for dinner, he, he would say, Go home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made sense. So he went home to his wife at 2 p.m. the day before, and... He, had, he says I, he stayed home all evening with his wife, so he knows nothing um, about, about who could have visited Trevelyan that evening. Um, he also says that Trevelyan was not expecting anyone other than possibly Burnaby, but even Captain Trevelyan was like, I don't think he's going to make it in this weather. So they, it was Burnaby might have showed up, but they weren't really expecting him. Um, and then he also, Evans knows about um, Trevelyan had a sister, and um, he thinks a nephew but he didn't know their, either of their addresses or if there was more relatives. Whoa. So Inspector Narcot starts to look around the house and he sees, so he's like there, he interviewed Evans in the dining room. And so he sees like there's a bunch of books on one of the shelves that are like love stories. And he's like, this seems odd. And Evans kind of giggles to himself and goes, yeah, um, the captain won those in one of the newspaper competitions. So like you send in your crossword or like one of the other puzzles answers and um if you got them all right they'd send you a prize or like they'd pick someone to send a prize to and it, it is weird that he has his love novels because he hates women is that the well it's it, what he's saying is that it's a prize the reason he, it's weird that he would have them in the first place but they're a prize so he kept them because it's like a trophy um and evan says that the captain would send um he'd send in like several solutions and put like a bunch of different um, house numbers on them to like increase his chances. And the house that won was Evan's house. So Evans had been sent the books and then he gave them to the captain because I I think the captain said it was more likely that his name, like Captain Trevelyan wouldn't win because they, the newspaper wants a more commoner name like Evans. Kind of rude, but okay. Yeah. That's (laughs) what he's kind of, he's kind of laughing to himself. And then there's also a bunch of like sporting trophies around and there's a, um, Oh, there was like a cupboard full of um, sporting equipment. So there were two pairs of skis, a golf bag, fishing equipment, like a lot of mounted skulls, like heads and stuff. Or like, I think there was like a tiger rug. So that's like his personality. His, yeah, his style is just... And he didn't, they're just in the cupboard because he didn't leave them at Sidiford House because he didn't trust the Willets. Like he didn't trust women touching his stuff. Got it. So he's like, dead take all the creepy stuff to your house. Perfect. Yeah. And then they go, they kind of look around and basically everything else, like his bedroom and bathroom are kept like immaculate. They're very neat. There's like nothing, there's nothing to see. There's nothing to find. Okay. So before Narcot goes to um, speak to Major Burnaby, who was staying at the like guest house in town, which is owned by a mess, Mrs. Belling. But before he can speak to the major, Mrs. Belling has to like tell him everything she knows, even if it's unimportant. 
she's going about on about how terrible tramps are. She's like some tramp broke into the house and like wanted money and then killed him and tramps are so terrible, yada, yada, yada. And then she also says that in her kind of like, she's just talking about everything. She says that two unfamiliar gentlemen had stayed at her guest house the night before. um, And one of them had gotten in at around 10 PM on the train. So they're kind of ruling him out because he couldn't that this person couldn't like if the death occurred between five and six. Mm-hmm. But the other was named James Pearson from London, and he had went out. Um, he had left the house. He had left the guest house around four ten, and hadn't arrived back at the guest house until six twenty. So they're like, oh, okay, he could have committed the murder with that time frame. I, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but I don't think it's him. I don't. <laughs> I don't have any good reason. I think it's because, you know, we don't know anything about him. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's a good reason. That's all. <laughs> just my gut, which is all I'm going off of right now. But so, okay, yes, yeah. <laughs> so he gets he gets through talking to Miss Belling, and the inspector goes to he finds Major Burnaby sitting at the breakfast room reading the Daily Wire, the paper, which is like I don't know, that's the main the main paper in town. Got it. So they're Globe and Mail. They're Globe and Mail, um, and he confirms that Trevelyan had had no enemies. He also knows that there is a will because he was made the ex- executor of the will, but he has no idea how the will was like divided and that Trevelyan had had um, a sister who was still alive and then several nieces and nephews from another sister who was passed away. So originally two sisters, one of them still alive. Um, and he also agrees, made, this is Major Burnaby agreeing that the Willets are very strange. He, has, he finds them very friendly. They're constantly inviting people over. Um, but he just doesn't understand why they wouldn't have gone to like a hotel. Like, why did they have to go to this big house in the middle of nowhere? Strange. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just outdoorsy people or. Possibly. It's just, we don't know. It's like that. Mm. Inspector Narcut's kind of like marking like, okay, I really need to go speak to these Willets. Like I need to find out for myself. So next, obviously, if there's a will, we want to know what's in the will. Mm. I want to know who this dead what happened to the dead sister where'd she go <laughs> nothing Nothing. we just she, never know it's not gonna come up ever again couldn't tell you okay. i could All make right. up okay. a story i you know i'd like that <laughs> if we have time but i'm curious um let's say she, you know it's very sad but uh she died in childbirth well that sounds apt for the time yeah i'd like to think was... that trevelyan just killed her because oh okay yeah, just maybe in the womb even. I guess she had kids, so probably not in the womb, but I just, it feels it was awesome for his woman-hating MO. It's Trevelyan's twin sister, and he just hated women so much. And killed yeah, her. I, I feel like I have no um, basis for any of my guesses so far, but I'm enjoying <laughs> them. It's more fun if you if you guess everyone throughout the entire book. <laughs> and eventually, eventually I'll get away. Yeah, I'm hoping. Um, so they they go, uh, Burnaby and Narcot go to the real estate agents in town first, because they're like on the way to the will people, the lawyers. And they find that Mrs. Willett had not, that she had not asked specifically for Siddiford House, but she had said that she wanted eight rooms and it had to be on the coast in this area. And Siddiford House is literally the only house that satisfied those requirements. Eight rooms? Yeah, eight rooms. I think like eight bedrooms. I don't know why. It's two women. But whatever. Maybe they just really like to party. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, and they had rented the house without even seeing the place. They kind of find that a little strange as well. Like they hadn't even gone to visit first. Yes. 
So they just, just kind of, just noting that strange. And then they go to the lawyer's office to hear about the will, the important part, because like who benefits from the will? This is going to be our motive. You know what's weird about these towns? What? Like, how do they just make sure they have one of everybody? Like, what happens if, like, four <laughs> lawyers move to the town? They're like, hey, we just graduated law school. We all want to hang out together. But then you have four well, lawyers and no doctors, you know? Normally, the lawyers, it'd be like, I, I didn't I didn't write down the names of this lawyer because it's confusing and kind of not important. But it will be like, the lawyer office will be called um, Baxter, Baxter, Sampson, and Roy. Like, that, it is the four lawyers in town. They're all at the mm. same firm. But what if you just, like, have this... Okay, like, it sounds like this tale. Like, there's the doctor of the town, right? Yeah. But what if, yeah. like, just the doctor moves? Then what? They're doctorless I think, now. Yeah, honestly. I think they try and, like, they try and get a new doctor to move in. That's crazy. Like, maybe the pay is good enough? They put an ad in the paper. <laughs> need doctor doctor in the town. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. It just feels, like, lucky that they got one of everything. <laughs> Good for them. Well, yeah, it might be, might be just Agatha Christie being like, um, "This isn't realistic, but it's necessary for the." I story. appreciate that. Yeah, all right, I'm into it. Okay, <laughs> so the will is split up. the The lawyer tells them um, Evans, the servant, had got a hundred pounds, and all of uh, the trophies that Captain Trevelyan had went to Burnaby, and then. The estate was to be divided. The rest of the estate was like to be sold and divided into four equal parts. So those and those four parts would go to the sister, one to the sister, Jennifer Gardner, and the other three to the three nieces and nephews of the deceased sister, Mary Pearson. Like Jennifer Gardner, like the actor? Well, I mean, I think this book was written before that. <laughs> Wait, you're telling me that Jennifer Gardner, the actor, isn't who Agatha Christie named this character after? <laughs> All right, you're you know you might be right, but I'm picturing her as Jennifer Gardner, the actor. I, I think you should. I think you should. I think that's okay. the right way to do it. <laughs> so the two sisters, Jennifer Gardner and Mary Pearson. So clearly they're married names, um, and they they find out the estate is worth eighty to ninety thousand pounds. So <gasps> a lot of money back then. Still a lot How of money. Many... I would I would like that. I think that would be nice. How much? What was the other like? money that they used in the beginning like it was 12 guineas oh, yeah like i want to know how many guineas that many pounds are pause we're gonna look it up it's 21 shillings oh god or one pound and five pence okay that's ridiculous what's the pence pence is like cents like that's what, a, like one dollar and five cents i would even need one a dollar pound. that's like just five cents more than your dollar i have absolutely no idea also can you imagine that all you paid rent was 12 dollars <laughs> But not even dollars. Like, I think it's even more ridiculous. Even though it's not that much more than $12, just that you have to say it's worth 12 guineas. Like, I'm more offended by that. There's something we're not understanding here. (laughs) I like it, though. It's kind of fun. (laughs) Anyway, it's worth a lot of guineas and or pounds. It's worth a lot, the estate. So much, yeah. So the estate's 80 to 90, and... So uh, Inspector Narcott kind of notes, like, Pearson, that's the same name of the guy in the hotel. I wonder if there's any coincidence with that. Sorry, who is the other Pearson? The the sister, the nephew, the niece. So Jennifer Gardner and Mary Pearson are the two sisters. Mm-hmm. But in the guest right. house, the one of the kind of unfamiliar gentlemen, quote unquote, was named um, James Pearson. So they're wondering, okay. Pearson's a common name. 
is there is that a coincidence or is this is there something going on here got it i you know i already ruled out james pearson so i'm sorry i can't be <laughs> mind you ready okay got it <laughs> yeah i i'm betting on jennifer gardner like i just don't trust that woman <laughs> and you know okay. i i still think the garfields but i'm it's not looking so good for him mm, maybe they know each other yeah jennifer gardner and uh uh james pearson work i'm sorry um ronnie garfield working together yes i don't have any like like i i didn't realize i was doing it but i only picked people whose names were related to people that currently exist so (laughs) that's how i'm choosing but that's okay keep going i think i mean agatha christie had no way of knowing these people would exist so you think you've got equal chance (laughs) yes you're right christie doesn't know so then Burnaby tells Narcot unwillingly about the table turning business because Narcot kind of tell that Burnaby was hiding something. And so he gets out of him about this, what was going on with the table turning. And this makes um, Narcot go, OK, I've got to go. I've got to get myself to Sitiford as soon as I can to talk to all these people. Mm. The roads are still like impassable by car, though, so he's going to have to wait. So Burnaby gets back to the Three Crowns where he's staying and there's a reporter waiting for him. And he's like, livid already. He's like, how do you reporters get here so fast? Like, he just been killed and I want to talk to you. Um, and so at first he wants none of this because, like, he, he hates reporters, which I'm sure a lot of people can sympathize with. Uh. In that sense. But then the reporter goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I, hear, I came here to tell you that you won 5,000 pounds from the newspaper competition. <gasps> And, like, you didn't hear, like, we sent you a letter yesterday, and uh, uh, Burnaby's, or, like, we, it was in the paper this morning, and Burnaby's like, no, I haven't seen anything, what are you talking about? But he was reading the paper this morning, wasn't he? Yeah. So, I, maybe he hadn't gotten to it yet? Unclear. Got it. Slow reader. Uh, sorry? Slow reader. Slow reader. <laughs> so, the guy, the guy, the newspaper guy's name is Charles Enderby, and he realizes, um, he he kind of realizes what this could mean for his career because he's he the like not the best friend of the dead guy he's handing him five thousand pounds and like a check for five thousand pounds and he's like this guy he can't say no to me he has to talk to me like i i'm gonna get so much information out of him i'm gonna write all these stories so he's pretty happy and he's kind of really hoping that there's a development made soon because then he can profit from it so he's also he's from the daily wire Got it. So then Narcot goes to visit Jennifer Gardner, who lives about a 30-minute train ride away in Exeter, Hmm. which is uh, an even bigger town. Like, this is, you know, this is that you have multiple doctors, multiple. Whoa. (laughs) More than one of each kind of person. That's too many. (laughs) Maybe, like, you might might call this a city. No, that's too much, too much. (laughs) It's a large town. Let's keep it cool here. Large town. (laughs) So he goes to visit her, and so he's kind of noting that it's only a 30-minute train ride, so that she, like, is was there a possibility she visited yesterday, her brother? That's my theory. I'm with mm-hmm. that still. So she gives him the names and addresses of the Pearsons. So the, 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 there were um, two nephews and a niece, and their names are James, Sylvia, and Brian. And so she says, James and Sylvia live in London. Um, Brian moved to Australia, and I don't have his address, so not. hopefully his siblings will have it. She says that the day before she had been shopping into the pictures um, and she had come home around six. <clears throat> so the the inspector in our cut's kind of ruling her out, um, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. It, 
She was shopping for pictures? She had been to the... She'd been grocery shopping and then to oh. the pictures, which is like the movie theater. Well, that's oh, that's some flying for you. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was, excited. It was just a bunch of pictures, you know? <laughs> Makes sense. All right, I, you know, she's still suspicious to me. What is Jennifer Gardner going to the movies for? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Her... Her husband had been an invalid from the war. Um, so what it, it was like, I think they said something like shell shock and then like nerve damage. So he was um, paralyzed from like the waist down. Oh, man. Um, and then they had a nurse that was around. And she said, the nurse says that she had been running errands for him the day before. So it's kind of like everyone, the nurse, Jennifer and the husband all were kind of alone for parts of the day. Mm. So not necessarily suspicious, but it does give them, you know, like the ability. Yes. So he kind of, that's all he wanted to ask the sister. And so he goes to visit um, Sylvia first, the niece, who she was around um, 25 and married to an author. And she felt that her husband didn't respect, sorry, she felt that her uncle didn't respect her husband. And Narakat kind of takes this to mean, he like reads between the lines and goes, um, they've been refused alone. Like he's like, oh, I know what this means. The mm. Your husband asked for money and the uncle refused him money. That's what you mean by doesn't respect. Got it. That is some good sleuthing. Inspector. Yeah. So they kind of, they take that as like maybe a possible motive. Um, and then next he visits James Pearson, who basically breaks down when he arrives. He like walks in the door and James is kind of like, oh, so you've come for me. <gasps> Um, because again, his name is James. Like this, it it it's not. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the same guy who was in X Hampton the day before, but their names are the same. Yeah, I feel like it would be kind of dumb of him to have signed up with his own name. But you know, I don't peg James Pierce either. Oh, I see. Who knows? They're kind of thinking that too. Like, why would you go down somewhere to commit a crime and sign your actual name? But yeah, they don't know. I feel not great. But... All right, I still don't think it's him. So. For no good okay. reason. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, you don't need it. So he admits that he visited his uncle on the day that he was murdered, but he goes like, why shouldn't I? Like, why, like, why shouldn't I visit my uncle? And then he won't say why he did visit his uncle. Like he, he's not going to lie that he was there, but he's not going to tell them why. And he had left. He's, uh, he says he left at 515. So pretty close to around when we're thinking. He's like and bad at his, defending himself. Yes. And so here's where his fiance, Emily Trefusis, walks in. My new and favorite she's, <laughs> She is a very put together woman. And the inspector kind of notices it immediately um, that she's a strong woman, is what wow. he says. And she basically proclaims she's going to save James. Like, James, you little dummy, I'll save you. <laughs> I like her. <laughs> not just because we share a fantastic name but you know because she's gonna save her crying husband mm -hmm. so the inquest is held and it's adjourned to the following week because they don't have enough evidence to kind of say what happened and emily has traveled into town so she is also staying at the three crowns and she picks out enderby that so we're coming back to charles enderby the news reporter um she picks him out from all the reporters and asks him to help her and what she says, she kind of says, like, we can, we can both work, we can help each other. I'll give you interviews, like every day, that will help, like, get you in, um, get you like more scoops or whatever, as long as you help me get info, like talking to the police or yada, yada, yada. 
Uh, and she says the police have the wrong man. Like James Pearson, my, like my fiance, did not do it. Mm. So they kind of discuss how they're going to get info out of people. And she tell, he's, his, he's going to Sidiford because that's where Major Burnaby lives. Um, and he's kind of going under the guise to like take pictures of Major Burnaby's cottage and like get details about his life because the, the, the readers want to hear about the winner, which is all like BS. Yes, he's just nosy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she says she's going to join him in Sidiford because she also wants to get more information. Um, so now we get to some more fun parts. Emily has a plan to cry a bunch to Mrs. Belling to get info from her. That sounds just like me. This girl is most... <laughs> that's what I would do. That's what I was thinking. I know. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Belling's the one that hates tramps, right? Yes. Got it. <laughs> Emily has a plan to cry a bunch to Mrs. Belling to get info from her. And before she can even start that, she gets back to the Three Crowns and Mrs. Belling tells her that the young man has been arrested. And Emily, without even having to try, starts a real orgy of weeping. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's the line. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah, I've never been (laughs) described as having a real orgy of crying. But if I'm not regularly described like that from now on, I will be so disappointed. (laughs) I think it really just it's amazing. what that level of crying looks like. I'm, I want you to know that, like, in my head, I'm just picturing Jennifer Garfield, sorry, Jennifer Garner, Garfield the cat, and myself, have, like, having an orgy of crying. That's, like, the whole story in my head right now. Oh, man. Perfect. So, yeah, she's having a real orgy of weeping, and Mrs. Belling kind of says to this that, don't worry, dear, like, None of us believe that your young man is guilty. Like, we'll pass on any info that comes our way. Like, we'll tell you. And so the chambermaid says the same thing. Like, they'll help her out. So Emily's like, did her job. But she's also kind of, she's, I feel like you wouldn't feel this way. She's feeling embarrassed that crying came so easily to her. Like, she's like, ugh. Yeah, not at all. I I should be like, wow. (laughs) Emotional aptitude right here. This is connecting. This is healing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, they leave they they leave the guest house and Emily and Charles start for Sidiford in one of the a hired car, and they say she kind of tells them we need to pretend to be cousins because everyone here is so pure. If we stay in the same guest house together, even if it's different rooms, they're gonna think something's like that's taboo. Hmm. Just a little ridiculous, but just note that they're pretending to be cousins. Also, that is like I just this is a side note. I just finished Jane Eyre, and I don't know if you've read it, mm-hmm. but. At the very end, she almost gets married to her cousin. And it's just taken so lightly. Like, they're just like, yeah, we're cousins. Like, we should get married. And I was like, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that's so I don't know if that's really even a good MO. Like, it could be cousin, wife, and husband. No, you're right. Yeah. I don't know if they did it properly. But that's, <laughs> that's what they say. Got it. Yes. So they arrive in Sidiford and they get put up in rooms with this woman named Mrs. Curtis. And so she's also one of the, the cottagers, like, living in the, the six cottages that captain trevelyan had made mm-hmm. and um it's like i think she normally rents out rooms in the summer as a guest house so she has rooms available but normally she wouldn't rent them in the winter got it so she goes on to tell them about everyone in town so they kind of call her like a water tap or something because she just she, when she starts speaking about something like the words just flow like she tells them everything there is to know got it also sounds like me <laughs> <laughs> Won't shut up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things was Ronnie Garfield 
Um, he sta- I said this before, but he was staying with his aunt, who's called Miss Percy House. Um, they're saying that the only reason he's staying with her is to make sure that the like quote unquote money stays within the family. Um, so like the idea of like he's like taking care of her for a couple weeks every year just to like make sure she remembers he exists, which is sad. That is sad. Um, but also they say Miss Percy House is a really perceptive woman and she knows exactly what's going on. So it's not like the wool's being pulled over her eyes or anything. Good for her. Yeah. And then the other guy, um, Mr. Rycroft, he liked to watch birds. So oh, that's his definitely thing. Definitely him now. I'm changing it. It's not Garfield. It's the bird watcher. Okay. <laughs> it's Rycroft. Okay. So he liked to watch birds. There's also an invalid who's called Captain Wyatt. Um, I I'm not gonna. He comes into the story a little bit, but I'm not gonna talk about him again because he's so useless to anything, and I don't um, care. Okay. No, bye. Wyatt. Um, and then, yeah, but forget about Wyatt. But he exists. He was there, but who cares about him? <laughs> and he's. I'll I'll tell you why. He has a his servant. They call it. They call it quote unquote native, which I I, I think in there what that means in this time period was a guy for like a, an Indian guy. Mm. Um, and they just, they, they treat him badly. Like there's probably, there's a lot of racism. He seems like a huge sexist. I like feel no reason to give him any time. Perfect. Let's cancel him. I'm God. Yep. Um, then there's Mr. Duke and no one knows anything about Mr. Duke. And that kind of comes up a bit in the story is every, everyone, anytime you talk about Mr. Duke, everyone kind of goes silent. Like, yeah, no, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> It's kind of, it would suck to be that guy, you know, like nobody really yeah. get invited, but yeah. nobody really knows anything about you. Yeah. But you almost like, it's like, he doesn't talk about himself either. So there's mm. like, it's kind of that feeling if there was anything to know, everyone in town would know it. And so that's a little weird in itself. Got it. So as Emily and Charles are going to visit Burnaby, they're walking over to the cottage. Um, we kind of jump over to Narcot who is also in Sidiford right now, but he's visiting with the Willets in Sidiford House. Mm. And he finds Mrs. Willett to be a very commanding woman who's very um, sure of herself and she kind of like knows exactly what to say, et cetera, et cetera. And he just like feels that in her presence. Um, and he asks them about the seance or the table turning. And he's kind of almost asking if it's a red herring because he doesn't, it, it goes back and forth about whether people believe in this or not. And I, I think he's kind of like, this isn't what's really important. What he really wants to know is why did they come to Sidiford in the first place? Mm. So he kind of starts to ask about that, but he's trying to do it in like a roundabout fashion. And so he's asking them why Sidiford? And she says, oh, well, we read about Devonshire in books and it just sounded so dreamy and we really wanted to come to Devonshire. And then there was a young man on the boat that we took because they're coming from South Africa to England on a, on a ship and um, a young man had talked about Exhampton. So they were like, oh, like the Devonshire, Devonshire coast, specifically Exhampton. He, the young man was saying how beautiful it was. Um, and But Narakot is, so she's, it's like that thing where she has an answer to every one of his questions, but he's able to trip her up by asking, um, how did you find a realtor in Exhampton? Mm. And it's the first time that Mrs. Willett pauses and he can kind of see like a, like a flash on her face of being like, I don't know. Like, I don't have an answer to that. Interesting. Um, I think he, she's, she's able to come up with something, but it's, he, he's, he's being like, I got you. Okay, why? Because there's no realtor? Is that the catch? There, there is a, there is a realtor. It's just that she's not able to say right away how she found them because there's like, you know, no internet, no nothing. Like, how did she, how yeah. was she able to call a realtor? Very Um, And so then the other thing he does is as he's leaving, 
like he's got like one foot out the door. He turns around and goes, you know, young Pearson, don't you? And the daughter faints. <laughs> Just like on the spot. Oh. <laughs> yes. I think she's in the, she's in, she's not, she isn't showing him out. So she's not at the door, but they like hear a thud from the other room. <laughs> Have you ever uh, and they also say, sh- no, never. Me neither. But like, it happens all the time in these books. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I feel like I, it's pretty rare that, like, I don't know anyone that's personally fainted, at least, like, none of my close friends. But it feels like it used to happen more, maybe. Like, are these women actually <laughs> fainting or are they just falling very quickly? <sighs> I think actually fainting. Like, in the book I just did with Eric, um, the, the detective guy, Hercule Poirot, like, he, like, checks her pulse and, like, lifts up her eyelids and is like, yeah, she actually fainted. Interesting. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I think almost all the books I've done so far, someone's fainted. I kind of want to faint. Like, I think that's on my bucket list for this year. Just to know what it feels like? <laughs> yeah, just... I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Like, I guess I don't really want to faint, but <laughs> I'm curious. I want to faint yeah. for dramatic effect once. Like, not, not because I'm too hot, just... Because someone says something so shocking that I faint. The, the Emily in this story, I think, would think fainting is weak. Oh, yeah. I agree with her now. <laughs> <laughs> That's also my opinion. <laughs> okay, so this girl um, faints. Okay, so girl faints. Basically, Narcot just notes that that happened. And he's like, haha, I got you. <laughs> then <laughs> we jump back to Emily and Charles who are visiting Burnaby. And he's forced to let them in because of Emily. Like, if it was just Charles, he would have been like, oh, it's you. Screw you. And slam the door. But because there's a woman there, he's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Come in. <laughs> um, so he shares, Burnaby shares everything we've already heard with Emily because she's she's new to the story. So she's getting the information again. Hmm. And she suggests um, that he got the wind up because he could sell, like, when they were doing the table turning, that he got the wind up because he could tell um, that someone else... He, She's saying, maybe you felt someone else in the room felt something. Like, was um, someone else kind of thought this was real? And so that's why you got the wind up is because you could feel that, like, energy off of someone. She's, like, she's having a hard time explaining herself. Mm. But I think it's the the kind of idea of, like, it, yeah, was, what did someone know about an accomplice? And so they knew that he was being killed at that point. And so they kind of have that feeling already. And then Major Burnaby could, like, feel it. Interesting. Um, and then they, just kind of this discussion of everyone thinks that the will that's coming for the winter is really, really queer. Like, what is that about? Yeah. So they go back to the guest house and Emily suggests someone. Um, yeah. So this is where she's kind of suggesting to Enderby that someone knew the murder was being committed. And so while they were table turning, like maybe by accident, they kind of, or on purpose, they like um, spelled out murder mm-hmm. because they knew about it. Um, and then as they're talking, a noise is heard from outside, and so they open the window, and it turns out it's a bell um, being rung from the Princeton Pri- Princetown prison, which is 12 miles away, and then when the bell's rung, it means that a convict has escaped. Whoa. So new, whole new level. <laughs> this is, there's a lot of people in this already, and there's more levels, and I, you know, I thought I had it for the beginning with Garfield, but we keep adding people, and now, I, <laughs> now I'm lost. <laughs> I think I think when this happens, it makes the story better because there's more there's it's more ways to trip you up. Whereas if there's less people, like there's only four people, you're, you know you get a twenty five percent chance just, just my guessing. Garfield guessing. We still don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm not losing hope. There's more to come. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the next morning, Emily goes, she wakes up a lot earlier than NB, so she goes up for a walk up the hill. And so she gets to the top of the Sidiford Hill and she's able to like look down at Sidiford, the town, and then further down to Exhampton's kind of in the valley below. And she's just kind of noting how beautiful everything is, um, even with this like this snow and whatnot. While she's up there, Mr. Rycroft kind of finds her there and he offers to help her as because his two passions are or orthology and criminology. I think like the study of birds and the study mm-hmm. of crime. And so he kind of is saying his idea is that it's the servant Evans, like who know like hundred pounds, if he was left a hundred pounds in the will, and even though that doesn't seem like a lot, like it could, depending on your circumstances, that could be like the, the difference between like, that could be really important to you. Mm-hmm. That's his theory. Um, but Emily kind of just like, she thanks him for his help because to her, it's like anyone who's giving me any information is awesome. Like I'm not turning anyone down. Mm -hmm. Then Emily goes back to the guest house. This feels weird. Kind of talking to Emily, talking about Emily. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I feel weird about it. Like, is it me? Is it not me? I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, she goes back to the guest house to have breakfast. And at this point, Charles is awake and her and Charles are kind of talking about what they're going to do that day, like their plans, when Ronnie comes by and kind of calls in at the window. And he says, my aunt really wants to see you, Emily, which Ronnie's kind of saying, you can say no, like, this is really odd. Like, this is very forward of my aunt to just tell you to come over, but like, whatever. But Emily's like, no, perfect. Yes, I want to talk to more people. I'm in. So she goes. Um, and she kind of feels, she says she feels a kinship to Miss Percy House because they're both strong women. Like she can tell that this is like, you know, strong women recognize strong women. Yes, girl, queen. Um, and so Miss Percy has shows her a tag when the Willets had been arriving. It was like this big thing because who comes to town ever? No one. Um, so everyone was watching. So she was watching at her window as well. And a tag had blown off one of the Willets trunk. And so she had got um, she'd kind of gone out or gotten Ronnie to go out to get it for her. And the tag said it was from Melbourne, Australia. So she's kind of like they say they're from South Africa. But why do they have this tag? Wasn't one of the sons in Australia, Bryn? Brian? Brian, yeah. Whoa. I'm saying Brian in Australia. Connections. So they also write, um, uh, Miss Percy House also writes Emily a note that will get her into Sidiford House. So it's, it's, it's whatever, like, will give her access. So she takes it and um, she gets into the house with it. I, it was like, it was a note ask, um, Miss Percy House was like sending Emily to ask the Willets for the coffee cake recipe that they had used a couple days ago or something like that. But it's all a ruse just to get Emily into the house. And she's like, she takes it and uses it. Perfect. So Violet lets her in. Um, the mother, Mrs. Willett, is like feeling too, I don't know, has a headache? I don't know, something. She's staying in bed. Um, but Violet talks to her and Emily notes that Violet seems super nervous. Um, but she doesn't flint, flinch when... Emily mentions Trevelyan's name. So she's like, hmm. So either like she's not nervous about Trevelyan or she's like, she prepared, she knew it was coming and prepared herself for it. Um, and then she describes, Violet describes how she freaked out. Violet describes how freaked out everyone had been after table turning. Like everyone was kind of, you know, a little bit more pale and like kind of maybe not suspicious, but like felt that that was freaky. Um, and that her mom had been, so fed up with the servants because um, the servants didn't like living in this kind of out of nowhere place and were giving them a lot of trouble. And so her mom had just fired them. 
Um, and they were going to try and hire men instead because they thought maybe men would be more resilient as servants. Sure. Got it. <laughs> sure. I, I know nothing about hiring servants. <laughs> what? You don't? I only prefer my male servants and, you know. Male servants. <laughs> um, so then Emily pulls a trick where she leaves her gloves behind as an excuse to come back into the house. Hmm. Um, and she hears when she leaves, she notices that Violet doesn't lock back up the door after her. So she kind of immediately just on her own goes back into the house and she hears voices upstairs. So she kind of like climbs up to the stairs to see what she can hear. Um, and then hears a door opening. So she quickly runs back down. Um, and I think when Violet comes down the stairs to the maid or something, she's kind of, she has her gloves in her hand and is kind of like just says, saying like, oh, I just came back from my gloves and then leaves the house. And what she heard when when the door was opening, she heard Mrs. Willett say, my God, I can't bear it. Will tonight never come? What's happening tonight? Mm-hmm. Dun, dun. Exactly. Exciting. So Emily and Charles meet back. They've like been doing separate things. So they meet back up at the guest house and kind of discuss their theories and what's going on. So Charles had heard from a friend. So um, just to come back to. So the three, the three nieces and nephews are... James Pearson, Sylvia, formerly Pearson, but now she's married. So her name is Sylvia Daring. And then the Brian Pearson. Sylvia is married to the author and his name is Martin Daring. He had said that he was at, like he, the day of the murder, he had been meeting with a publisher for lunch and in the evening he had gone to a literary dinner. So what Charles is saying is that he's heard back from a friend that Martin Daring was not at that literary dinner, like he said he was. So he's lied about that. Um, so they're kind of saying, if he could lie about that, could he also lie about the publisher? And if he did, that like he totally could have been in and out of um, in and out of Exhampton that day, no mm-hmm. problem. So that's strange. And then um, Charles points out that the youngest Pearson was in Australia because they're kind of talking about that tag. And then Charles suggests that James is lying. So Emily's fiance, not about lying about killing, killing Trevelyan, but about um, whether his uncle was dead or not when he went to visit. Cause he says that he went to like see his uncle. He won't say why, um, but we're assuming it's to ask for money. <laughs> or that's, you know, that's kind of the vibe that you're getting. Mm. He hasn't said that yet, but they're saying, what if he went to visit his uncle got to the door, no one answered. He went around to the window and saw Trevelyan already dead and freaked out and didn't want to, like, wanted to lie about that and say that, like, they had had their meeting and then he had left. So what if what if Trevelyan was killed before the the 5 or 5.15 that, that James says he visited? Got it. Yeah, that feels right to me. You know, I okay. never, I mean, I, I'm i a strong James, you know, I'm not going to call myself a fan, but okay. <laughs> I'm a believer. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be really disappointed if he did it. If James did it. Yeah. <laughs> I stood up for him. <laughs> well, Emily, other Emily's standing up for him, too. Yeah. We're on the same page, me and Emily. Yeah. Um, so Emily, like, agrees that that's possible. She's like, I know James. It's very possible that he'd lie about that. So she's going to go to Exeter to... Um, there's a whole bunch of things she wants to do. She wants to meet with the doctor to, like, check if that's possible. She wants to meet with her lawyer to ask him if if James is lying about this or to like kind of question James Um, and then I think she wants to meet her aunt the Jennifer Gardner nice my good aunt Jennifer Gardner yes (laughs) so she needs to go to Exeter for that so she leaves um she's gonna take a car out of Sidiford so she's leaving I think she was going to hire a car but before she wanted to do that she wanted to go visit Mr. Duke because 
it's this guy that no one knows anything about. She was kind of like, I want to, I want to suss him out myself. Mm. But as she's walking up the, up the steps to Mr. Duke's cottage, she sees Inspector Narcock coming out. And she kind of, he kind of says, oh yeah, I'm going back to Exhampton in a car. And Emily goes, perfect. I want to go to Exhampton. Do you mind if I come with you? Which the inspector clearly wants to say no, but can't. So she gets in the car. Good for her. (laughs) (laughs) Assert yourself. Yeah, baby. So the first thing she does is she sees the doctor that had um, inspected, like had pronounced Trevelyan dead. And he says that she's right. Trevelyan could have been killed earlier. He could have been killed as early as 4 p.m. So we're kind of opening that window up a bit. He's just saying it's, he's saying it's kind of, he thinks it's more likely that they, he was killed between five and six, but based on the body, he could have been killed as early as four. Mm. Then she goes to her lawyer and her lawyer informs her that the, that James had been stealing company money and replacing it. Like he would, he would bet it. James, no. And then replace it. Um, and so I know. So he's kind of saying this looked really bad for him. Like he, um, the company had discovered that he was, or like I think the company decided to check the books earlier than they were supposed to. And so James was in desperate need of money. Oh, James, why'd you do yeah. that to us? So, and then he, uh, the lawyer also agrees that he'll push him to tell the truth, but he thinks that he is. He thinks that he is telling the truth that he spoke with his uncle. Then she goes to see her aunt and finds that no one had actually seen her at home until 7 p.m. So the aunt originally said, um, Jennifer Gardner had said that she had come home at 6, which still could be true, but the no one, like the nurse and the maid, no one had seen her until 7 p.m. because they hadn't seen her come in at 6. They had only like gone up to give her tea at 7 p.m. in her room. Mm. So that's opening the door a little bit. And then they talk about, the, the aunt is also, I think, a, a strong woman, maybe. <laughs> maybe but she's she's emily kind of like feels like she has like a she's a force so she's like this like her presence is really strong and so they, they're talking about the aunt's husband who so i don't think i don't think emily's met any of these people yet because she's just the fiance like they're not actually married yet hmm. um but they have tea and somehow emily starts crying <laughs> emily we said we'd hold it in <laughs> <laughs> So then we kind of just go to see what how everyone in Sidiford is doing. And everyone in Sidiford is talking about Emily and Charles as a couple. They're like, are they really cousins or is something going on? <laughs> They're also saying, even if they are cousins, is there something going on? Dun dun. Um, and going like, oh, yeah, they'd be cute together. <laughs> but her James, her fiance. But her James, exactly, exactly. Emily and Charles, they're also talking about the murder, and then they're talking about the escaped convict. So those are, like, the three topics. Oh, yeah! What happened to that convict? (laughs) What happened to that convict? Good question. (sighs) Well, no one in Sidiford knows, but they are talking about it. Got it. (laughs) And then the Willits are hopeful that, oh, the Willits are kind of saying that they're hopeful that they haven't given anything away to the police. Like, Violet's going, Mom, you were so strong. You were so good. I gave it all away when I fainted. And Mrs. Willett's like, no, I think you're okay. I don't think they suspect anything. Okay. Suspicious. At this point, I think it's everybody. Like, I'm... I really (laughs) felt strong in the beginning. And, like, the more I know, the less confident I feel. Mm. Um, But I I do feel a strong kinship to Emily. So I think that's... That's what I'm really getting out of this story. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. What else do you need? Yeah. I have a namesake. I have a new fiance and potentially cousin <laughs> slash lover. <laughs> That's all I want. 
You're doing great. So before Emily had left, she had given Charles a task. So she had told Charles about this phrase that she had overheard Miss Well saying, I can't wait for tonight. And so she tells Charles, you need to stake out Sidiford House this like tonight and see what's going to happen. Like, I won't be around, but you got to do it. Um, and so he dresses in like all his super warm clothing and like brings a flask with him and just walks around the grounds. <laughs> that's what you need. You need warm clothing and then a flask. <laughs> well, I guess it's that like, I don't know, that feeling of warm. like, yeah, it keeps you warm. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So he's got that. I think he also like bought some comic books at the corner store or something. <laughs> Sounds like a and good when night. I say corner, when I say corner store, there's only one store in town because there's only three houses. So it. <laughs> it's the only store. Yes. It sells everything. So he's taking up the grounds and around midnight, he hears a door latch open somewhere around the house. So he goes and finds it and sees Violet sticking her head out of the house, kind of looking around. And then she leaves the house and goes up a path towards a gate on the property wall at the edge of the property. And suddenly a man appears and Charles tries to get closer to like hear what they're saying, but steps on a twig and a tw- twig snaps. And so the man... This new man is like, who's there? And they kind of get in a brawl or whatever. Oh my gosh, stupid Charles. If only he wasn't drinking all night. (laughs) Charles realizes at this person that he can guess who it is, who this man is. Do you want to take a guess? James. James Pearson, the guy who's arrested in jail? No, not James Pearson. Wait, give me one more. (gasps) Brian! It's Brian Pearson. Oh my gosh, that sneaking son of a gun. I know, so everyone's like, you're supposed to be in Australia, what's going on here? Silly man. So we, again, jump cut. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you should say that, it really helps. (laughs) I should. So jump cut, Major Burnaby is at home, he's going over his investments, and he's kind of, he's a dummy. They kind of... They're kind of pointing out like the, the things that he wants to invest in only a widow or a, an ex-army guy would invest in because they're so terrible. Like, so <laughs> obviously terrible. It's like a weird group put I'm... together. Yeah. Yeah. Like I a widow I don't understand it, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so as he's doing that, Ronnie comes to the window and he asks if he can join. He had heard that Major Burnaby was going to Exhampton. Um, and to, I think Major Burnaby had to go to like clear out because he's the executor of the will, he has to like clear out the house to get it ready for auction or something mm. or I, whatever. He's going to Exhampton and Ronnie wants to go to Exhampton as well. And they also discuss this like new Australian, the Brian Pearson guy. So it's the talk of the town now. Wow. There should be like, why is nobody talking about this prison? Like if there was a prison break, I feel like that would be the talk of the town, not like this Australian man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is. The, the three topics were Emily and Charles. <laughs> The murder and the escape convict. And now there's a fourth Brian Pierce. Those are some good topics. There's a lot of gossip. <laughs> so Burnaby gets to Exhampton and meets up with Evans in the house. And they go through Trevelyan's belongings. And they get most things sorted out. And they go out to lunch at the Three Crowns. And when they come back, Ronnie is just in the house. And Burnaby's like, how... How'd you get in here? Like, what? And Ronnie's like, oh, the door was open. So I figured that you guys were still here. So just looking around for you. Like, I just wanted to tell you, I'm not going to be joining you on the car ride back to Sidiford. I'll catch my own car. Ronnie, what are you up to? Yes, what are you up to? Good question. So it's the end of the day and um, Burnaby's gone home. He's like set off. And Evans is kind of looking puzzled. And you just, it's just the phrase he thinks he's thinking to himself. 
where can they have got to? So just this question of what's he talking about? Jump cut. Inspector <laughs> <laughs> uh, Narakot is discussing the case with the chief constable. Um, and they also, Inspector Narakot's kind of saying he doesn't think that James is guilty. But all of the, like, all of the, he has so much, not evidence, but there's all this, like, um, maybe circumstantial evidence piled mm. up against him. Um, like, there's no fingerprints, there's no whatever, but, like, he was in the right place at the right time, um, he needed money, he was going to inherit money, like, so he's got motive, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also talking about, though, that Brian Pearson had been in England two months prior, sorry, sorry, for two months, and hadn't told anyone, and also refused to give his whereabouts from the last Thursday. So the day before the murder was on Friday, the day before the mur- murder, he refuses to tell anyone where he was. So that's strange. And they also believe that he wouldn't have turned him, not turned himself in, but like gone to the police if Enderby hadn't caught him. So mm. they're like, he wasn't, he wasn't going to tell us anything. He's just doing this now because like Charles Enderby caught him out. Mm-hmm. They also talk about um, Martin Daring had lied about the literary dinner. So they know this now too. I think maybe Enderby had um, turned them on to it. And so they're thinking, did he lie about the rest of the day? We're going to have to look into this. So he goes to see Martin um, and Martin doesn't, didn't know that Brian was in England. And that seems truthful. Like he looks genuinely surprised. He also, they also talk about Martin kind of brings up that the convict had been recaptured. And so they kind of like touch on that. So there you go. There's the convict. He was a, the convict was like, they say he was a very dangerous man. He went by the name Fremantle Freddy. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but Fremantle Freddy, great name. It is a great name. Uh, he committed like robbery with violence and he had led like a double life. Like he would sometimes be like super like well-dressed business guy, like above the like law, whatever, like doing everything properly. And then he would go do these like terrible assaults, etc. Oh my gosh. Maybe Fremantle Freddy is Brian. And he was never in Australia. And they, so they recaptured the convict. Did they recapture the wrong guy? You know, this isn't a really coherent story idea that I have in my head. <laughs> okay. I just would like Fremantle Freddy to be someone we already know so that I can avoid adding more characters to this. You're right, you're right. But, okay. Yeah. Right, he's Brian. <laughs> <laughs> in my head, yeah, yeah. But we can continue. Okay. So then Daring, Daring admits he wasn't at the literary dinner, but he was like, I was with my publisher. I just like, I didn't want this to be public, whatever, whatever. Like, I don't want, I, I had lied to my wife. And so I just wanted, like, I thought I should keep up the same lie. Um, but I was with the publisher. He's, my publisher's on his way back to America, but I can give you the name of the boat that he's on. And you can send him a wire. Then, so he, before he leaves, he's like, he sees a Pride and Prejudice book on the table. And he's kind of just flipping through it. Or maybe it's while he's waiting for Martin Daring to kind of come into the room. And on the front page is an inscription that says to Martha Rycroft. And he's kind of thinking to himself, where have we heard the name Rycroft before? Yes. Yeah, the bird guy. (laughs) Whatever you're saying. Bird guy. (laughs) So he I don't think he's necessarily connected it yet, but he's kind of thinking what's going on here. Hmm. Jump cut. Emily and Charles (laughs) are having coffee with Brian. Because they got like Emily wanted to meet him and like see what's up. And so he's left, and then they're both discussing um what what like how they felt about brian and they both feel like he was hiding something like he's not giving them the full truth he seems too too eager to give i don't know (laughs) like earnest yeah like he he's trying too hard Mm. 
to seem innocent type thing. So they also point out that he had, Emily's kind of like going through what you need to commit a murder. You needed motive, which Brian had because he wanted the money. Opportunity, which no one knows where Brian was and he won't give his, like he won't give that away. So he could have come in from another town. And then the other one is she's saying you needed to have a connection to the seance because coming back to that table turning, like it said someone at that table must have known something Mm. or either they knew something or it was actually spirits is kind of what they're saying. (laughs) Yeah. And so then she gets into that, like the business of the table turning was either actually supernatural. It was, it was deliberate. Someone was doing it on purpose, maybe to like give an alibi or something, or it was accidental. So someone knew something and by accident, let the table shove um, in the, in the, to spell out that word, even though they didn't want it to, because it was like in their subconscious. So in that sense, they're, they're kind of like thinking through. So Brian wasn't at the table turning, but he has this connection to Violet. Like they're, they're, they're in love. That's mm. kind of what they're getting at. And then, so they're trying to think who else had a connection outside of, you know, like outside of the, the table turning business. Mm-hmm. I still think it's the bird guy. Okay. Rycroft. Ryan. I think he, yeah, I think he, wait, no. <laughs> or, you know, Ronnie, maybe. Mm-hmm. No, actually, you know. Uh. So they, it's, it's, they're kind of like crossing people out, but they're saying none of the six people at the table could have done the murder, but they could have mm-hmm. had a connection to someone. Right. And so at this moment, um, they notice that Aunt Jennifer is sitting at the cafe. Like she's in the same cafe that they're sitting at just farther away. And when they kind of notice her there, they see Ronnie Garfield comes in to meet the aunt. <gasps> so it's just as they're talking about connections and they're like, oh, is this a connection? Not Jennifer Gardner. <laughs> I never, I never trusted her. So knowing that Jennifer Gardner is out of the picture, like she's not now. She knows that Jennifer is with um, Ronnie. Emily goes to the house to see the husband. Like she wants to talk to Jennifer, her Jennifer Gardner's husband alone. Hmm. And he's an ass. Like he basically <laughs> just tries to push all of Emily's buttons to be like, oh, it really sucks that your fiance is in prison. Like, aren't you going to feel bad that you're marrying like a potential murderer? What a rude man. Yeah, he's just he's just a jerk. Um, but Emily, you know, Emily's a again, she's a strong woman. She's capable of this, so she keeps she doesn't let any of it face her. Rah rah. Go Emily. Um and then she pulls the same I don't think she really gets any information out of him, but she pulls the same trick where she leaves her gloves in the room when she leaves. And then when she comes back to get them, she catches the nurse and the husband holding hands. Noodling. <gasps> Canoodling. Mm-hmm. Great word. Canoodling. It doesn't say that, but I, I assume that's what was Yeah, happening. that's what I'm picking, yeah. <laughs> it really describes it. Thank you. Thank you. So Emily and Charles get to discussing who it couldn't be rather than who it could. They're kind of like, this may be a better way to go about it is instead of thinking who had, like, who who was it could be, let's, like, can't, let's cut people out of who it couldn't be. Basically, they find they can't. It's really difficult. And they also can't, like, say people didn't do it. Um, and Emily, or sorry, Charles asks Emily for her alibi, and she realizes that she can't provide an uh, provide a alibi for where she was that night. And she kind of goes, "Wow, I'm the most suspicious character." Emily, no. Emily, no. Yeah. <laughs> so then Emily visits with Inspector Narcot. So they're like paths are crossing, and um, she gets out of him that Martin Daring was not with his publisher for that lunch that he said he was with him. Um, he had gotten a telegram back that said, nope, the publisher like said, nope, he wasn't with me. I just 
Okay, blah, blah, blah. And she also finds out that Martin Daring, the husband of Sylvia, had been married to Martha Rycroft in 1894. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's suspicious? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I, I, I think that it's a, a distraction from the main mm, culprit. Okay. Yeah. So then I think Emily's trying to get more information out of out of Narcot about Mr. Duke, because still to this point, she hasn't spoken to him, but no luck. Narcot's not given anything away on this point. So she, she leaves. And so as Narcot's kind of sitting by himself now, um, one of his constables comes in and gives him some info. And so that is, he, the, the constable just says, it wasn't the duchy at Princetown. It was the Hotel of Two Bridges. And the other young chap had arrived in Exhampton by late train, but we don't know when he left London. And then the, there had been a mother and daughter by the name of the Johnsons that fit the description of the Willets and had been on the same boat as Brian Pearson. Wow. So I think Narakat goes, I don't think Johnson or Willet are the real names. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. So we're getting near the end here. Oh, okay. I think right now, I think that... There's some complicated plot between, mm-hmm. I think the Willards and Brian are, you know, I don't think they're involved in the murder. I think they just have some like sneaky business of their own going on. Same with Martin Daring. Okay. I think, I think yeah. he's just a sleazy guy and he's like, he's really missing his bird, bird man's mom. Is that who Martha is? <laughs> Do we know? We don't know. Unclear. Unclear. Right. And I think it's, I think that I'm, I think Ronnie and Jennifer Gardner are really the suspects here. And I don't know where Garfield went. Like, I kind of miss him, but. No, it's, so it's Ronnie Garfield. There's <gasps> oh my God. So then I'm even more suspicious. <laughs> I'm sticking with my original guess. I think Ronnie Garfield okay. and Jennifer, like, I think Jennifer Gardner was upset because she, you know, her ex-brother or I guess her late brother was always rude to her as a woman. And so. Yeah. She's getting her vengeance as the ah, lone okay. sister left. So Ronnie Garfield was like the the guy involved with the table turning. Yeah, and, and like her, her accomplice. Yeah, and you know, and Ronnie's like being manipulated because he's he's kind of not he's taking care of his aunt, but he doesn't think his aunt's going to give him the money, and so he's like, I need another way. I see. He's all focused on it. Yeah. Okay. I like it. <laughs> So Emily gets back to Exhampton and when she gets there, Mrs. Or no, Mrs. Belling has sent her a letter. And so once she gets the letter, she goes back to Exhampton. And what the letter had said was that um, Evans, when they had been going through all of Trevelyan's stuff, couldn't find Trevelyan's winter boots. They were nowhere to be found. And he kind of just thought that was odd and that she should know. So she goes back to Exhampton and she's able to get the lawyers to give her the key to the house so that she can go look around herself. And so she searches the whole house. She's looking around everywhere and everything seems to be in place. And then she realizes she kind of like looks to the chimney and she reaches her arm up and pulls out a pair of like winter boots wrapped in newspaper that have been stuffed up the chimney. And so she's thinking in her head, what is going on? So she just kind of sits there for a minute to like figure out what is going on. And then she kind of has an idea. And so she goes to the, um, that sporting closet that had been mentioned earlier and kind of like looks into that and then shuts the door. And she thinks at this point that she knows who killed Captain Trevelyan. Oh, so my she, goodness. Goes, 
She goes to find, she had heard that Naracott had gone up to Sidiford, had taken a car up. So she gets a car up to, um, to Sidiford and she finds Naracott in Mr. Duke's house. And she tells them she thinks she knows who killed Captain Trevelyan. Oh my gosh. Who also looks up a chimney? Who's like, you know where something might be hiding? Up a chimney. Mm-hmm. She noticed, she kind of says it, that everything had seemed so in order, but there was like a pile of soot in the in the grate of the fireplace and it made her feel like it was the only thing out of order. Mm. Okay, so it's Santa. Santa did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not even a character. <laughs> yeah, but who else is crawling up and down chimneys? do you want to add anything to your guests or honestly i'm questioning everything like who we still don't know anything about mr duke i'm and him and narakad seem to be like budding up Uh, (sighs) violet's out here fainting mm -hmm. what even happened to burnaby i forgot about evan okay new (laughs) (laughs) new i think i'm gonna say that jennifer garner was Okay, also, I'm I, I'm sticking with my idea that Brian was the prisoner that escaped. Okay. And the Willers were coming to, like, find their prison husband. Okay, got it, yeah. Um, And then Martin Daring, maybe, I think he's just a bad author and, like, is embarrassed. I don't think there's anything suspect there. Yeah. You know what? I don't have any, I like my Ronnie, my Garfield and Gardner okay. duo. I think I'm sticking with it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how it relates to the chimney. I don't have any idea. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to hear um, the solution? Like, I do, but also, I know Garfield and Gardner didn't do it. I'm going to be upset when that's the case. So, let me just prepare myself for a second. and Let me try to put the chimney in. What happened with the chimney? Maybe Garfield's aunt. Maybe, no. I have no good answer. Okay, I'm ready to hear the answer. (laughs) It's hard to keep everything like keep track of everything i know maybe that's the beauty of it though is yeah you're i I think you're gonna enjoy i think you're gonna enjoy the solution i'm ready okay i'm 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 going to so as emily has kind of gone into inspector mr duke's house and is speaking with inspector naricott um the willets have kind of invited everyone back over for um for tea again or like a another fire um and so it's it's a bunch it's a lot of the same people uh, Miss, uh, like Mr. Duke's not there, but it's Major Burnaby, um, Mr. Rycroft, Ronnie Garfield, obviously the daughter Violet, Mrs. Willett. But the kind of the extra people that are there are now Brian Pearson, who's living with them, and Charles Enderby. His kind of Charles Enderby just kind of shows up, and no one wants him to be there, but he's kind of like a little bit I'm oblivious. Here. Wants him to be there, yeah, and so he mm. stays. And Rycroft proposes that. We should try. It's a week later. It's the next Friday uh, since the murder was committed. He's like, I think Rycroft like super believed in spirits. So he's like, he really thinks that it was a spirit that said this. And he thinks that they should try another seance to get the spirits to tell them who the murderer was. So they kind of, no one wants to do this. um, But Rycroft had already like asked Major Burnaby earlier in the day to back him on his idea. And so Major Burnaby backs him. And then because like they had two, these two guys were down for it, everyone else kind of like fell into place. And so they're starting the seance and nothing's really happening. Everything's really quiet. Like the lights are off. Um, They're all like sitting, holding, like touching the table. Nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden they hear like there's a rap. Everyone freaks out. 
but um, Brian Pearson is a little more level-headed and wasn't there for the first seance. Goes, it was just knock on the door. I'll go get it. And so he goes, opens the door, and Inspector Narcot, Emily, and Mr. Duke walk in. And Inspector Narcot says, Major Burnaby, you're under arrest. <gasps> Man, I should have guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> so suspicious, Burnaby. Was he? Well, I, I kind so. of forgot about him. Like... I think that was the whole point. I was just really caught up in my Jennifer Gardner scheme. Yeah. And I couldn't see it. No, it's, that's exactly what happens is you get your, you get your hooks fixed on someone and then they just, they look more and more suspicious. And so you keep going, yes, yes. No, she gets you. But Burnaby, because Burnaby, what was, what did he get? He got something out of the will, right? So what it actually was, was um, that 5,000 pounds. You know how I mentioned that Captain yeah, Trevelyan won the get, newspaper. Captain Trevelyan would get stuff sent to different houses. And so one of those solutions he had sent, he had put Major Burnaby's address. And so Major Burnaby had gotten that letter the day before from the newspaper saying he'd won 5,000 pounds. And that's when he formulated this idea to, he, again, and like what I was saying, he's like, was terrible at investments. Mm. Um, so he formulated this plan to kill Captain Trevelyan so that he could keep the 5,000 pounds for himself. It was all over five thousand pounds. That's kind of rude. I mean, they were best friends. Like they were, yeah. they were boys. They yeah. did crosswords together. They did crosswords <laughs> together. Boys who crossword together stay together. Especially because they both like they hated women together and did crosswords together. Like, how are you going to find a better pair? I don't know. Uh, so, so that had happened. So, what he it basically he had known that it was going to snow that night and so he was the one who would kind of push the table and it was this whole idea to give himself like an alibi like the idea that the murder was committed at 525 and he could possibly have done it because he was at the table turning um oh, but the other, so what had happened was I, I i said i said this a little bit but it wasn't obviously too into the story was x hampton was in a valley below sifford so Major Burnaby had just strapped on a pair of skis and skied down to Captain Trevelyan's house. So he was there in like 10 minutes, not the two and a half hours that it should have taken him had he walked. Got it. Oh, so um, smart. Right? So he, uh, Captain Trevelyan let him in that's no problem. That's why there were two pairs of skis. That's why there were two pairs of skis. And so that's why when Emily finds the winter boots, she realizes that Burnaby had hidden the winter boots because he thought that if the police saw the boots, it would make them think of skis and then they'd see the two pairs of skis in the cabinet. Oh my gosh. I remember you saying that and being like, kind of weird that there are two skis. Like maybe like there's a hidden, I, okay. I thought it was something weird. Like there was going to be like a hidden girlfriend or something, but that's no. way better. <laughs> <laughs> right? are, wow. You mentioned all these details along the way and I did not catch on. It's that's like one of those things where t- saying everything about the sports cabinet, I'm like, this is such a weird fact to mention. It's gonna yeah. look suspicious, but but there are like a think. lot of other random weird facts in it. So like, you don't know yeah. which ones are important, like exactly. Mr. Duke or like the prison yeah. guy. Man, I'm really disappointed that the prison guy wasn't more important. Like, what a weird thing. No, he is. Let me let me. I'll tell you the rest of it because you actually were, you were like almost dead on with what was going on with that. So excited. So, um, you're right. Uh. Martin Daring, total red herring. Rycroft kind of mentions that his um his niece, his niece and her husband are coming to visit the next weekend. And so that makes you think, is Martin Daring leading two different lives? Like he's married to this Martha girl and to Sylvia. 
but that's it's not it's not that's all it factors in it like nothing else is important then with the prison guy Brian had met the Willets on the boat. The Willets were coming to England because um, Mrs. Willets' husband had been imprisoned at the Princeton prison um, and they were trying to break him out. So Brian, who they met on the boat, um, was kind of the brains behind it and had like formulated all of the prison escape. So what was supposed to happen was the husband dude would escape from prison. They had um, this cave that he could hide out in and then Brian and him would come be the manservants at the house. Oh my goodness. So they, had, they, had, they had rented this house specifically because it was close enough to the prison. It was a big enough house that you'd need servants for. Um, and they were planning on firing the servants. Like they were, that was the whole oh, plan. Oh, the manservants. tell everyone that these servants were like not good enough so that they could hire men later. And then it would be Brian Pearson and the husband would like be pretending to be servants. But, like, wouldn't people recognize Brian? Also, like, why did Brian want to be a part of this? Isn't he just a guy they met on the boat? He's in love with Violet. Oh, so he Violet was... Violet in love. So he's right. doing it for like, her. And I think, like, they were planning on getting married. So that was the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that was... You know, I, I tried my hardest, and I think... I'm happy with my answer. I'm still, I think, and there's a world where Jennifer Gar- Gardner and Garfield could have done it. And that's really all I wanted. Well, I think you were, so you had, like, you knew Martin Daring was off. You knew that, that like, Brian was just, like, they were involved in their own thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just Jennifer Gardner. Wow, that was Garfield. so fun. I think I did better than I did the first time we played this, though. So I'm proud of Woo! myself. Yay. <laughs> what a good ending. Silly birdie. Thanks for uh, talking with me. Thanks for doing that. That was really fun. I hope uh, everyone at home guessed something, parts of it, all of it, who knows, and enjoyed Emily and Emily solving crime together. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Also, follow me on Instagram at the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. (laughs) 